When I was a little kid, I used to sit in my dad's office and pretend I was a businessman. My name is Meryl Dubrow, CEO of Mark Research. I'm a 35-year veteran of the research and insights community and the host of our podcast, On The Mark. On The Mark is focusing on executives and thought leaders in the world, sharing their insights, strategies, and personal experiences. I promise this podcast will be filled with tough, pointy questions with real, insightful, and emotional answers. Today's guest is fellow Bostonian, my best buddy, the Chief Revenue Officer of Zappi. Ryan Berry, welcome to the On The Mark podcast. Yes, I'm psyched, Meryl. Excited to catch up with you, buddy. It's an amazing time. You know, what's beautiful about this is, unlike most podcasts, this is unscripted, unrehearsed. So this is going to go in a lot of different directions, directions that who knows what they are, because you just don't know. But we're going to start with a surprise. Give me two things, Ryan, that most people would be surprised to know about you. All right. The first thing, for anybody who's met me professionally, uh, this will be a surprise. Outside of work, I'm actually quiet and pretty introverted. Most people don't know that. Wow. Wow. When I tell people that, they usually get pretty shocked. They're like, oh, you always see you on social media or at conferences or whatever. But uh, you could find me on Saturdays in a pretty small circle most of the time. The second one is I used to wrestle in high school, and I attribute a lot of my professional skills to the discipline I learned wrestling. Wow. So what were some of those disciplines on wrestling that you learned that it kind of spilled over to your business life? I think the biggest one is um, accountability. Um, you know, I played team sports as well, but one of the things I liked about wrestling is if you lose, you lose, right? And so there's, you can only look at yourself in the mirror, and I think Anybody, whether you are a leader uh, who actually manages people or a leader who's also a player, well, I think it's important to be able to stand out in front of criticism. I think the other is just being disciplined around where you spend your time. You know, in, in wrestling, it was, you know, you're, you're cutting weight and various things. Uh, in my uh, adult age, I don't diet or anything like that, but I, I am super intentional of every minute I spend um, in the day. And I find so many people really struggle with time management, and I and I attribute the discipline I learned back then to how why I'm good with time now. Like I never feel like I'm running out of time. I'm always feeling in control of it. Let's get back to that first point because I'm a little surprised. So you're telling me, as outgoing as you are, you're really an introvert, and that's just you. Is that a charade? Is that you becoming something you're not? No, I think it's I think it's more um, I'm energized by work. Um, so. I really do enjoy what I do for a living. So it, it, it gives me energy. And so things that give me energy outside of business are skiing, watching sports, and I'm, they bring me to life as well. But I, have, I, I wouldn't call myself an introvert. It's probably more just in between the two. I think the technical term is an ambivert. But it's more just like I only have so much energy, and when it runs out, it's gone. As a result of that, if you think of the type of work that we both do, by Friday at 5 o'clock, I'm just mentally and emotionally exhausted. I leave it all on the playing field, for lack of a better word. It's not anything other than that. I mean, I'm I genuinely having fun with what I do every day. That's where the energy comes from. Let's talk about that energy because, you know, for me, and you, you and I have had a number of meals, so I know that most people have to take a step back when I'm at the table because when I eat, I eat a lot. 
Um, so I get my appetite from my mom. My mom was very outgoing. I tend to be very outgoing. You have a ridiculous amount of energy. I mean, seriously, it's almost like you're on 95 cups of coffee, just wired 24-7. Where does that come from? Have you met my mom, Meryl? I have not met your mom. Is your mom like my mom? Okay. Yes. And here's the deal. She's probably not as good of a tennis player as your mom is, but here's the deal. <laughs> we're going to Rhode Island and we're going to go visit with Liza. Um, my mother is the middle child of five sisters that all grew up in inner city Dublin. And she is the life of any party she's ever been to, even if it's not a party. And I don't know how she has as much energy as she does, but she's got this way of looking at everything with a positive attitude. And it was hard not to have that ingrained both genetically, but also just by product of being raised by her. So um, when I'm somewhere, I'm there, you know, and I, I think that's just something that uh, is, you know, genetically part of me because, because of my mom, but it's also how I was raised, you know? So yeah. And it's funny because my dad's shy, <laughs> you know? So uh, I guess I'm really probably slant more towards mom's personality than dad's, but uh, it's definitely a mom thing. And, and if she was in, a, if she entered into the business world, I think she would have crushed it because she has that bounds of energy that I think you need to survive in, in business. And what about your sister? Is she more like your dad or your mom? So my little sister, from a sense of humor perspective, is just like me. I think we just have very different uh, paths. So my sister is an intellectual. She studied art. She's trying to figure out how to use her love of theater to help people who suffer from mental health. I kind of was always like, oh, I really like this thing called business. When I was a little kid, I used to sit in my dad's office and pretend I was a businessman. It, you know, so like, I think from a life perspective, we've taken different paths, but I would tell you, she's, she probably would give a similar answer around energy and being shy. She's probably somewhere in between my mom and my dad. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. One of the things that really excites me when I think about Zappy is your business continues to change. It continues to evolve. And everybody out there says, oh, I've got to evolve and change as a person. I've got to evolve as a company. But frankly, I think Zappy is one of the companies, Ryan, that really, really breeds that and, and really walks the talk on that. Um, let's talk a little bit about the virtual summit that you guys had, you and, and Vox Popney um, partnered with. You know, I was really excited. I sat in on, on a number of those sessions. I was so impressed with the energy, the content. Talk a little bit about the virtual summit, the opportunity that you guys had, what you delivered, some of the things that you were excited about, and some of the tweaks that you would do if you had to do it when you do it again. The virtual insight summit was an idea we had before the world. Uh went through this pandemic. So I remember vividly in early January, we were in Vermont at our marketing meeting. Our marketing team had a, at an offsite. Ariel, who manages all of our events in our community, and I were talking about a bunch of things. And in one of the breaks, I said, hey, do you got a minute? I want to pitch you on this idea. And I said, what if we could do all the great things about conferences, but do it virtually and do it in a way where we don't have to leave our families? And it was one of those things we were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? That's cool. We'll put it on the backlog and we'll do it in the second half of the year. But it was a thing we were going to do. I mean, it was, it was definitely a thing we wanted to do. We, just didn't, we didn't think we were going to need to do it. So then we were in Brooklyn, New York at what will be my last in-person event of at least 2020, which was Quirks, New York. And it was a great event, but we had literally spent eight months building and launching a product. And the day we launched it is the day the NBA canceled their season and all the other stuff that happened. And I remember grabbing Ariel on my way to the airport and saying, Hey, remember that uh, virtual conference idea? Yeah, we're going to do that now. Um, and so 
the next morning, uh, I called Jen Vogel, who's a great friend of mine. Uh, I think one of the best marketers I know. And I said, Hey, um, I'm going to do this summit. Would you guys like to be a part of it? And she goes, well, I'd rather not compete with you because we're going to do one too. Why don't we just do it together? And so that's when we decided to form uh, what was now known as the Virtual Insight Summit. In eight weeks, we bashed two teams together. You know, we, we, were, we were really diligent about two things, being the first one to get it done, but then giving ourselves enough time to execute. And so we, we moved pretty quickly. I think it was, a, it was March 15th when we actually announced we were doing it. And between March 15th and May, May 5th when we actually had it, there was dozens of virtual conferences. And so we were going to all of them and we were figuring out from an experience, content, engagement perspective, what people were doing that could have been better. And we were reflecting that in our own programming, our own promotions, et cetera. So we felt pretty good going into it. Uh, we were really thoughtful um, about the content. And frankly, Merrill, I cashed in on a lot of relationships. People that don't normally go speak at conferences spoke at the Virtual Insights Summit. Um, and a lot of these people are people I've known in various uh, lives, whether it's Zappy or others. And so um, you're not typically seeing the quality of speaker that we had at the Virtual Insight Summit at your average trade show. And I think that was one of the, we knew, we knew going in the content was good. What I had no clue, and this is why I think the event was great, Merrill, is the engagement we got from everybody who showed up. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody intended to sit there for two days, but we had the chief insights officer of Wreck at Ben Kieser in Singapore staying up till five in the morning to not miss a session. And it was, it was equal parts of the content, but also the energy that we had in the room. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, there's very few times, Merrill, in my career where I've had a vision for something and it's come to life. Uh, one of them is the partnership we have with your company, you know, and that, that was a, a shared vision that we executed. And then the, the other is, um, the other, well, there's a few, but the Virtual Insights Summit, I remember after it being like, oh my God, that's exactly how I envisioned it. So there was some learnings, right? So for those of you who are listening to this and thinking about, oh my God, how do we move our content digital? Think carefully around the content. Be intentional if you're trying to be inclusive or not. So we, we very intentionally let everybody in. I mean, I had, I won't say who, but I had a competitor obnoxiously say something in the chat uh, about us during the summit. But we didn't care that they were in there. It's like, this was a, for us, this was a community thing that was positive for our brand. And the business side would come later, but we were intentional about that. And I think the experience showed. We did use Zoom um, and Zoom, I don't think is really set up to run virtual conferences. So if we're going to do it again, which I think we are, we probably will look at, is there a platform that will foster more conversations and engagement? Yeah. So those are kind of, I guess that's, that's my summary. I haven't given this summary to anybody yet. So, well, listen, we're all about unscripted, all about unrehearsed. And listen, I got to follow up on something you said, because it was a huge, it was a huge nugget. And I don't know if you've said this out loud, young man, are you ready? I'm ready, baby. If, if, I, if I'm quoting you, if I heard you correctly, you're saying Ryan Berry, the last time he's at an in-person conference was Brooklyn and Quirks. In, in March of 2020, you're telling me, you're telling the audience, Mr. Barry, you don't expect to go to a conference, an in-person conference in 2020. Is that correct? I will not be at a conference in 2020. Right, is that a company decision you made? Or is that a Ryan Barry decision that you made and promised Jillian? It's a little bit of both. I don't think conferences will happen. So I don't think it's, even if I wanted to, I don't think it's going to happen. And I, because, you know, I, we both do business with big enterprises. Most of the big enterprises are putting strict travel mandates on their people through at least the balance of the year. And so going to big trade shows with networking events and all that sort of stuff, 
it just isn't going to happen until we have a vaccine for this thing. That's one thing. But I have to tell you, to your point around Jillian, who for those of you who don't know me personally, Jillian is my wife, my best friend, my life partner, and my boss. We've talked a lot about what this pandemic will change forever. And for a guy, and I know you're similar to me, man, like for a guy who's been on an airplane sleeping in hotels for the better part of the last 15 years, I'm rethinking a lot of how I do business. Do I need to fly all over the world? Do I need to go to conferences? What can we be doing virtually? And not just for me as a human and a father and a husband, but also for the world. Like, I mean, think of the carbon footprint uh, relief the planet's just got in the last two months. And there's, so there's some, you know, there's some positives through all this. Um, and I think we could talk about this a little bit. I mean, we've, we've been thinking not just of how quickly can we get our people back to Zappi's offices, but why don't we actually use this time to think about what the office, what should a modern workplace look like, independent of what's happening uh, from a from a health perspective? Right, but let's let's talk about that because I know how important your office, your culture at Zappy is. I know you've had some amazing internal meetings. You have an open floor plan. Um, you do a lot of things that really promotes collaboration teamwork and culture is at the top of your to-do list and Steve Phillips and your entire leadership team. But let's talk a couple things. Number one, it's easy to have an impressive culture when you're 50 people or 70 people or 90 people or hundred people. But when you grow to over 200, that's hard. So I want to know, the listeners want to know, how do you contain and keep that culture? And then the second part of the question is with COVID-19, how are you going to break through that and make sure you have that amazing culture that you've had for so many years, Ryan? Yeah. Uh, first question is probably easier to answer than the second. We can talk about the second for a little while. So, I mean, the, the first question is, I, I think we have a great culture because we know that it's imperfect and we're intentionally trying to make it better every day. And what's interesting about kind of our stage of company growth trajectory, what have you, is you have the balancing act of the great things that made your startup successful, meeting the adolescent things that, that businesses need as they evolve, grow up, scale, whatever words you want to use. And it's like the, the intersection of those two worlds is like a, is a really interesting puzzle to put together. You know, we've got more people working at Zappi who have spent 25 years in big companies. And so figuring out how to integrate that skill set experience into a fairly hard to navigate software business on purpose has been a really interesting challenge. And I think the reason why our culture is great is because we're intentional about improving it every single day. And we're, we're aware that it's not perfect. Zappi's culture also isn't for everybody. And I think what we've, the reason why our culture is thriving now, I would say almost as well as it was in the early days when there was five of us is we learned a lesson a couple years ago. Not everybody wants to be empowered to the level we empower people. Not everybody is comfortable navigating uncertainties. And we, we just believe that that's important because in a world that is uncertain, you need to be adaptable and agile. And so for us, it's like, you know, we had a customer issue two weeks ago. I had 10 people around the phone and a solution in four days. We're able to move that fast because of some of the things that also make it so that we're not for everybody. Like we don't have I mean, good luck finding an org chart in our company. I mean, you know, like I, don't, I think there is. I can't tell you the last time someone's looked at it. That's that's funny. That's that's amazing. So let me ask you this: I know how proud you were about being 
the fifth most innovative company in the world on last year's 2019 report. And I know you and Steve Phillips and your leadership team, and you don't want to be number four. You don't want to be number three. You don't want to be number two. You want to be number one. Other than getting more votes, what does Zappy need to do to be the most innovative partner in the entire world? Because number five is just not cutting it, bud. No, no, I play to win. And I'm also very biased because I've just sat through the Last Dance documentary. So I'm feeling even more of a desire to win. All right. Listen, Michael, you are the Michael Jordan of the Insights community. How do you be number one? I'd like to be the Michael Jordan of the Insights community. So I think we have broke the back of a lot of hard problems that are going to make it easy for us to solve problems with software without having to write code. Yep. I'll translate that into English. Our platform is pretty mature and it can do a lot more than it's ever been able to do. But this industry is going through immense transformation. And so it's the combination of people, process, and technology that needs to get right. And you add another layer of of complexity and consumer insights because there's a degree of accuracy and quality that we need to maintain as an industry. So how do we get to number one? We deliver insights, not data. We help our customers think through the change. We build and innovate better methods. If we ever were number one of any ranking, I'd still be trying to make us better. Um, That's just like a DNA thing for me. I do want to be number one. We got some flack around uh, making a case as to why we're innovative, which I don't regret. The judge of if we're number one, as far as I'm concerned, is the market. Um, Awards are cool, but if we're winning winning customers, keeping them and getting them promoted, I don't care what the ranking is, to be honest with you. Okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. Give me a number, five or six. Six. Give me six words that if I called Steve Phillips right now, he would use to describe you and make one of those um, perhaps not the most nicest word that he could ever use about somebody without a swear word. Okay. Um, For those of you who don't know Steve Phillips, he's our CEO, founder of Zappy, one of my best friends. And uh, so I'll tell you what I think he would say about me. He would say that I am loyal. He would say that I'm grumpy in the morning. <laughs> That's great. Wow. I, I got a feeling Jillian would say that too. Okay. All right. Well, here's We do our CXO calls at 6 a.m., Merrill. And before a cup of coffee, all that energy yeah. you talked about 10 minutes ago just doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. All right. So loyal, grumpy in the morning. Jeez. I think he would probably argue I'm introspective. Okay. You know, I've, I've had some critics over the years and a few times I'll get a pat on the back. Uh, it's just because it's not the way our relationship is, is when, when I'm introspective. So that's three words. Man, I wish I picked five. This is a hard exercise. Fourth word, well, it's, I would say customer centric. Okay. I'm kind of like the cheerleader for customer centricity internally. And I think it's a cultural thing now. But uh, so what's that? Four, five. Yep. Never satisfied. Okay. Six is American. Um, you know, I... I uh, I work in an international business and I, uh, you know, I get teased quite a bit for being very American. I'm very proud of being American, by the way. Um, but uh, Steve and many other of my relatives who live in Europe will sometimes tease that I'm the most American person I know. And uh, you know what? I'm proud of that. That's great. That's, that's, that's impressive. So let me ask you something. I know you have, um, on behalf of the Insights Association, the Insights community, and everybody in the Insights, you really do a you really one of the guys that's a voice of the industry. You're always giving something back in leadership positions. You present at Michigan State in the MSMR classes. You're there to help everybody. 
You presented so many conferences. You're so gracious with your time. Was that always important to you? Or how, how was that? Because a lot of people say, oh, I wish I had the time to, to give back, right? Oh, I got to present at a conference. I've got to write an article. I've got to do a blog. I've got to do a podcast. But you're the guy who breaks through all of that, one of the busiest guys I know. And frankly, you find the friggin' time to do all that. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. That's really nice of you. I'll, I'll tell you this. like All those things you just said are fun for me. I met with a woman yesterday who was recently laid off, spent an hour with her to give her advice. And to, you know, and at the end, she sent me a nice email to say, oh my God, thank you for helping me think through the problem that way. And like, there's a selfish feeling that is gratifying of being able to help somebody. But you know, going to talk at Michigan State or at conferences, I mean, this industry has been amazing to me. I mean, I was 20 years old, no clue what I was going to be when I grew up in the market research community. I always like, they kind of adopted me and like made me feel part of it. And was, and I always had people, Merrill, when I was just like programming surveys or running projects or whatever I was doing, who were that gracious with me. So it's kind of like a no-brainer. I think the way I'm able to manage time, you know this about me, I've got a master document that I write every single quarter, who I spend time with, what things I spend time on, what, how many meetings I'll take in a day. I mean, like I'm, I'm kind of maniacal about time because it's, it's one of the only things in life that isn't infinite. So if, you, if you're not in control of it, you're, well, you're out of control of it, and that's no fun. What that means, though, Merrill, is you have to be ruthless in your prioritization. So just as much as you're saying, I make time for this, there's a bunch of things I don't make time for. It's just I, I've made the intention of those, some things are priorities and some things aren't. That's great. Ryan, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Unscripted, unrehearsed. You've been listening to Ryan Berry, the CRO of Zappy. This is the On The Mark podcast. My name is Meryl Dubrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having me, Meryl.